I think the first thing to talk about here is that in the very rapidly evolving landscape of LLMs, Google and OpenAI have, of course, emerged as the main two titans here. I mean, we have people like Microsoft that obviously play heavily in this field, but right now they're outsourcing a lot of that to OpenAI. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of Google and OpenAI. There's a couple others. These are the two big ones. Um, but each of them have their own kind of distinct advantages and strategies. So a few years ago, Google released the MENA model, which temporarily was you know, the winner of the world's best language model. So that was back when we were comparing it with OpenAI's GPT-2. So MENA actually had 1.7 times greater model capacity, and it was trained on 8.5 times more data back then. And this is actually pre-COVID. So Google engineer Noam Shazer, um, he had, uh, you know, a prophetic internal memo that said, quote, MENA eats the world, and it kind of highlighted the increasing integration of language models into daily life and also kind of the dominance in globally deployed FLOPs, which is floating point operations per second. Anyways, Shazer's insights, which were pretty, I'd say they're largely overlooked at the time. I think they were um, very big to the world's kind of re later realization upon, you know, the release of OpenAI's uh, chat GPT. That's when all of a sudden people were like looking back and saying, oh, dang, he probably was onto something. So I would say Google's moment in the sun was brief because just a few months later, OpenAI unveiled GPT-3, um, which was then kind of passing Mina with more than 75 times the parameters. And then it had, or 65 times the parameters. I think it had 60 times the token count and it had 4,000 times more flops. So I think the gap in performance between the two models was very monumental. And despite the apparent setback, I think Google is far from being counted out, right? We've seen them come out with Google Bard. They're obviously a contender in the field fighting here. But according to internal projections, Google's ongoing efforts, especially with its Gemini models, are set to outperform the total pre-training flops of GPT-4 by 5x by the year's end. This is absolutely massive. So... I think this path is also clear to exceed this um, by 20 times by the end of the following year. But then again, of course, OpenAI is going to have to come out with something by then. So I wouldn't really count on, I wouldn't put too much speculation into, you know, what their latest things are going to do in, in a year's time. So this is all thanks to Google's really robust infrastructure build out. So the question remains, right, is whether Google's going to deploy these models publicly without compromising their creative abilities or their existing business model. But I think, you know, it's not just about Google and OpenAI. I think the broader landscape reveals a very significant divide between the GPU rich and the GPU poor. So essentially these are factions in the machine learning world. Um, the former group, including labs at OpenAI, Google and other tech giants like Meta have essentially access to substantial computing resources. This is like, in the case of Google, this is something they built up over long-term for a lot of their projects, um, and in case of, in the case of others, it's something that they may maybe potentially recently acquired, right? But we're seeing a big pinch right now with GPU shortages from Nvidia. We're seeing Nvidia go to all-time highs, passing a trillion-dollar valuation, um, and so it's kind of this moment where if you have it, you have it. If you don't, you don't. You got to try to build it up. I mean, even Elon Musk at this point, I think, has just bought and is about to put online like two hundred fifty million dollars worth of GPUs. Uh, from NVIDIA to help training. I think they're A100s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but like, it's kind of hard to to compete with that, right? $250 million, a company like Tesla can do, but definitely not for everyone. So I think this kind of computational muscle has even become a bragging point among a lot of top machine learning researchers um, and even a recruiting strategy for companies. So 
On the other hand, the GPU poor, you could call them, is essentially compromising startups and open source researchers. And these people are grappling with essentially limited resources, right? They're often kind of squandering valuable time on impractical projects. And I think that these constraints significantly limit their ability to compete in a landscape that is rapidly scaling up. So in the midst of all of this, NVIDIA with its really extensive offering in cloud services and supercomputers has become a very critical player. Effectively, it's just eating the lunch of more resource constrained companies like Hugging Faces, Databricks, and Together. And these firms are hard pressed to catch up to NVIDIA's pace, essentially lacking both the computational resources and the capital to substantially invest in the infrastructure. So it's kind of this two-edged sword and NVIDIA is really, um, really pulling ahead. So essentially many technology firms and startups are funneling capital into NVIDIA's bank account, setting up an industry dynamic where NVIDIA holds a significant power stake. So while NVIDIA's dominance appears, you know, relatively unshakable, Google with its rich compute resources could potentially be the industry's white knight. So Google's um, prowess isn't confined to its language model. It extends to its infrastructure, right? This is something that Google's been building up for a very long time for many of its different um, core competencies in its business. So particularly its AI optimizer tensor processing units, TPUs, um, like TPU v5, um, are also known as Viperfish. So Google's infrastructure efficiency could be its trump card in this whole situation, essentially allowing it to rapidly scale up operations. So therefore, while the spotlight often shifts between individual advancements and uh, language models, I think the real game changer might be infrastructure with Google's really relentless pace in building out its AI capabilities. I think it may very well reset the playing field, challenging not just OpenAI, but also potentially um, loosening NVIDIA's type grip on the market, right? Because if Google can come out and uh, essentially offer companies the ability to train models with much, much less um, compute, all of a sudden it diminishes the need for everyone to go out and buy hundreds of millions of dollars in NVIDIA chips, right? Essentially, we're able to just train it for uh, that's a lot more efficient. And this really should be a positive to the economy, like this should be something everyone is supportive of because it's great for the environment, it's great for energy consumption, it's great for a lot of different reasons um, to be able to be more efficient. And so it's going to be really interesting if Google is not only kind of stealing uh, a little bit of thunder from NVIDIA with some of these uh, TPUs, but also by using it, it's like internally, if they're able to um, essentially displace OpenAI by now creating bigger models, better models that were trained more efficiently and it's just something that OpenAI would have to spend extremely heavy to try to, to try to catch up. So very interesting space. Google may have one last trump card up its sleeve, and that is what we're going to be following into the future. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode, breaking down how AI is impacting your industry. Today's episode is sponsored by AIbox, a no-code AI app builder and marketplace, which just launched a crowdfunding campaign. If you are interested in investing in a new AI startup, you can go to republic.com slash AI box. I'll leave a link in the show notes as well to learn more. The minimum investment is $150 and the maximum investment is $100,000. Until next time, have a fantastic day.